everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Copcast Podcast. We've only gone and won the Champions League. Just that. Just for the sixth time. Just that. Nah, we buns at the end of the day. To discuss this phenomenon, um, joining me first up, ladies first, in London, I'm delighted to say, and it's been a while, is Amara Naz. Amara, how the hell are you? I'm good, thank you. Brilliant, actually, after, yeah, just like you said, winning the Champions League for the sixth time. Couldn't be better. Was it ever in doubt? Really? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that one. Uh, next up in Belfast, we have Dave Dunning, who uh, I believe is recovered and is man barely alive, but alive nonetheless. How the hell are you? Yeah, I'm good. Never has a three-day hangover been so worth it. I envy it. Oh, well, I, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have envied me at fucking four o'clock on Sunday afternoon, but um, but yeah, we're. Oh, we're, I, I might have. I might have. I, I, I might have. Mine, mine was a bit subdued, but bleh, it is what it is. And finally, uh, last but not least, Neil Patterson in Berlin. Chief, happy man? Yeah, absolutely happy. Back to normal today, thankfully. Had uh, not quite as bad of a hangover as Dave, but uh, pretty close. But uh, yeah, Champions League, six times European Cup winners, Champions League winners, whatever you want to say. And uh, unbelievable, absolutely brilliant. Well, here I'll stick with you since 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 I'm talking to you, and I suppose we're we're going to have to talk something about the game, you know. Um, not that it was much of a of a showpiece or a showcase for either one of those teams, you know. Personally, I don't give a toss. Uh, we came home with a trophy, but I think you know I have to look at the sort of big question out of this game, and and for me it is: do you, do you ever think that one piece bikinis will ever catch on football? <laughs> I. Actually, the highlight, you know, the, the highlight of this game is is the starting point for me. I missed missed the live. Well, the streaker live. I've seen the pictures. Well, it wasn't a streaker. It was a pitch invader. A streaker doesn't wear clothes. She was wearing a a, a Borat swimsuit. It I think was bikini, wasn't it? I mean, um, to be honest, that it was it wasn't a a showcase final. But to be honest, finals rarely are. I think it was. You know, massively dictated by the fact that uh, Liverpool got a penalty in the first minute, basically. And, and, and where do you stand on that, Neil? You know, for me, it was a penalty the first time I saw it. I stand by it. Now, don't get me wrong, red red tinted goggles made it a penalty the first time around, but the more you watch it, you can't argue with it. Well, in real time, you look at it and you go, man, he's claimed for handball there. What's going to happen? You watch the ref. I always watch the ref in that, this, in, in that situation. You know, sometimes you don't have the benefit of the camera of of them all being in shop, but it, they were all so close together. You could see, and you watched him, and you watched him think for a split second, and then point, and you knew it was a pen, and you watch it back, and you know, for me, the hand is out before the ball gets kicked, but it should not be there. That's the whole point. He's making his body bigger. It also seems to come down towards the ball and and sort of close the gap. Don't know how deliberate that is because in super slow mo, that's that's mental. You, you don't know if he's actually deliberately done that or not. But the point is, the arm is way out, and Mane's played for it, and it reminded me of Suarez, and I think it's really really clever. But it's definitely a penalty for me, and I think next season we're going to see that given every week because the change is coming in the handball rule, which basically is saying that if your if your hand is outside the natural silhouette of your body, it's going to be a penalty. But what was he thinking? What was he thinking, Neil? Because, you know, we we know that in this Champions League. We've seen it with referees in this Champions League, that it's going to be given. 
is he trying to shepherd him outside by doing that? Is he trying to push him out? And Manny's just thought quickly and kicked at him. Suarez used to do that. I remember a penalty he got against James Tompkins playing for West Ham where he did exactly the same thing. Tompkins got his sort of hand out by his side. Suarez sees it and he kicks the ball at it. And it, it's not. It, it's out. The hand is out. So it's, it's a penalty. And I think that's what's happened. And... You know, nobody's really complained about it. It might have made an issue on on BT Sport or whatever. I watched different coverage. For me, it's a definite penalty, and the ref gave it. And with with VAR in that situation, because the referee's given the penalty for handball, it's not a completely object um, objective decision. There is some degree of subjectivity involved, and therefore they're only looking for a clear and obvious error by the referee, and you can't say that that was a clear and obvious error. So they give the pen, and it's not a great pen. Milner's not on, and you're going, fuck, who's going to take it? And obviously, you know, it's Salah, and you you know that he scores most of them, but he's not the most convincing penalty taker in the world, but he puts it away. You're 1-0 up, and that skews the game massively, I think, from there. I think I think if you watch it back, you probably think that we, we, we pretty much control it and keep them at arm's length. But at the same time, as we alluded to pre-pod, we, we can't string a pass together. Uh, we're very good off the ball, uh, but not particularly good on the ball. But we're good in both boxes. We're better in both boxes. And we score, you know, if you look at that back just statistically in, in five years, and you go, oh, Liverpool scored after two minutes and they scored after 87 minutes and it finished 2-0, you're going to go, well... Uh, and you look at the league positions and whatever you're going to well, obviously Liverpool pretty much had that game under control. Probably doesn't tell the whole story, but I don't know how much of that was tension because it was, you know, we had to win that game. So in the end, we did. Was it a, a spectacle? No, but who cares? This this is a springboard. And I think we'll, we're going to talk about that. And I think that was the most important thing for this team for Jürgen and for the fans, because we all have known that it's been coming and now we've finally done it. No, can't argue with any of that, Neil. None, not at all. Um, you know, it, it, as you say, it's been coming. It definitely has. And look, there's there's many a Champions League final that that, that, that is a cagey affair. Um, the quality of this one, sadly, it was, the, it was the quality of the football more than anything else. Um, you know, Tottenham seemed to, we seemed to allow them anyhow. We were quite happy from from. We got a penalty in 20 seconds. I'll come to you on this one, Ooms. And, and Spurs seem quite happy just passing the ball along their back line, hoofing the ball over the top, um, which generally went out of play. As I say, I, I'm sure if if the stats people are out there, I'm sure there was more throw-ins in that game than there wasn't any other Champions League final in history because the ball constantly seemed to be in the hands on the on the byline. But was it a case for you, Ooms, of... Um, you know, we took our 1-0 and we decided we're going to hold what we have. We're going to hit you on the break. Maybe get a second one. It took us another, what, let's say, 85 minutes to get that one. But the team sort of backed itself. Maybe killed the spectacle. Maybe. I mean, we're not we're not used to Liverpool playing like that. We don't think of them to, uh, as scoring a goal and then thinking, OK, we're going to hang on. We're going to defend because we just we haven't been like that recently. Maybe we've been more like that. Sort of more recently, I mean, um, you know, maybe last year or the year before, we've just been used to us trying to score, score, score. So it was a bit, it was a bit of a strange game. I didn't quite know. It, it, you just, you didn't get into it because, you know, like you said, we hardly had the ball. Um, they seemed to be uh, doing a much better job of, of passing the ball around, whereas we were probably stringing together two passes. And like you said, it was either going for a throw or it was being intercepted. So. It's, it's a strange kind of notion to think that Liverpool 
have begun to play like that. But when you think about it, maybe in hindsight, you think that maybe that was the case that they thought, you know, we'll see what you can do. And then, as you said, maybe pick them off with the goal. We just weren't managing to do that so much during the game. We did it eventually at the end when Origi came on because Firmino was quite poor. So uh, he wasn't getting the opportunities. And then obviously Origi came on and, and scored the second goal and put the whole thing to bed. So, like I said, we're just not used to that. So, um, but the whole game was really quite strange. I remember sitting there thinking, what's going on? This isn't really us. And we discussed in the pre-pod, is it, was it the long break? Um, you guys mentioned the heat. So it, I think it was a culmination of different things. And I personally think it, the, just, it was just the break. It was just far too long. Three weeks was an age really, wasn't it? I mean, I, I think it's to do with the European, um, leagues they finish a week later than we do so obviously they they were assuming they were going to be in the finals giving them enough opportunity to rest and recover as well but for us it was just a couple of weeks too long again like I said it was just a weird feeling you were thinking what's going on in this game we weren't really ever, you know getting into it and then you know then Origi goes and scores a second goal and you kind of you're a bit relieved because at the end I think the last 10-15 minutes Spurs were really kind of pushing a bit harder and then Alisson had to make quite a few saves at the end. Um, the defense was was clicking it like it always has been this season and this the defense that's just been saving us well, you mentioned, again you and again. The saves there. I'm going I'm going to stop mm. you. You know you mentioned the saves. I don't know whether you've rewatched a lot of them. You know there was a lot made of them and how great. They, but honestly, where Alisson's concerned. All of those saves you you would expect them to make week on yeah, week. There, were, there was nothing that was yeah. there was nothing that really, in my opinion, that really tested them too much. No, I mean they weren't amazing saves. That's that's sure. sure. I'm not saying they were amazing saves, but they were made. You know that the, he did the job basically. Whereas previously, you know, in our last Champions League final, do I need to remind you of the things that happened? So, you know, that's that was the kind of the, the two finals were like the tale of two goalkeepers, really, weren't they? I mean. Um, but I, I do feel like, you know, he kind of where the pressure was being put on at the end, he, he was doing his job. OK, he wasn't making unbelievable saves, but, you know, he was keeping them at bay for as long as possible. And, you know, it only takes one kind of not a mistake or error, but it's just, just one moment, really, where he, he might not do 100 percent. And then that's that's it. So for me, that was. It is, that's a big deal because, like I said, we're not we're not used to it. Um, maybe from from previous seasons of of looking at our goalkeepers like that. But anyway, he you know he, we did the job in the end, and it it didn't it didn't sink in until maybe I think the trophy ceremony even, and when you saw Jordan Henderson lift it and kind of then it kind of sunk in a little bit, and then as the days went on, and then the champ the parade was the next day and then then it sunk in a bit more but at the time the game was just really so crap really for want of a better word it was it was hard to get get into it and get excited about it. I think we, we used up all our excitement quota in the semi-final didn't we really I think that was it and then it was like right no more for you shit final but it, in the end it doesn't really matter the job was to get the trophy and that's what we did and um, if finally Klopp has got that monkey off his back where he's He's won a final now, but I think this was the first final where he wasn't actually the underdog. So he he had he had a pretty rough deal in previous finals. So it wasn't like his record. It's something was he should be getting because, used to in the future, Holmes, because yeah, he's not well, going to be hopefully. the underdog much longer. Yeah, but these previous finals, it wasn't a case of him, you know, choking or bottling or the teams doing something wrong. It was literally they were the underdogs in those in those finals, and 
you know, they were just beaten by the better teams, more experienced teams for whatever reasons on the ti- on, on the day. But we sh- if you look at it on paper, we, we should have beaten Tottenham. I was just crapping my pants because <laughs> Tottenham had fluked their way to this final. And I was thinking, you know, maybe they'll just fluke it again, knowing our luck. Because we've had crap, crap luck in finals recently and just missing out on the league. And you kind of start to think, oh, we cursed and things like that. But... But yeah, we, we did it in the end and it's just fabulous, really. And I think it's just going to open the floodgates now. I really do. I think we're going to win the league next year. <laughs> and um, they say things are like in 30-year cycles, aren't they? So maybe Tottenham, I mean, United's time is gone now. It's our, t- our turn to get back on and start winning everything. No, I, I'm with you 100%. I, no. I, I, it's exactly what I think myself. It's, you know, at the final whistle of, of uh, that Champions League final, that was a beginning, not an end. Mm, um, yeah. And I think maybe the difference for me, uh, you know, I'll, I'll come to Dave on this one, maybe get, bring you in, Dave. You know, in, in 2005, you wondered where your next um, European Cup final, it was only two years away in, in reality with, with Rafa. But th- this phase is a whole lot different. You know, we, we didn't, in 2006, we didn't go in thinking, oh, have a real, real serious run of the league. Maybe we would. You know what I mean? Everything's different for this one. But, you, you know, Dave, for you, and I want to say this before the question, you know, I just want to say, like, Pochettino is top-class manager, top-class bloke, apparently went across to Jordan Henderson, really, you know, the congratulations they gave him and whatnot, totally magnanimous in defeat and whatnot. I, I, I've come away with a great admiration for him, but I think his tactics were all wrong for us on the night. You know, I, I just don't think... Number one, like we can talk about Firmino for us not being ready. Harry Kane was was completely off the pace, um, and I think that played. At, at, you know, we we discussed this I think on the, on the last pod about Harry Kane, and I think the fact that he was so bereft of match confidence and match practice, he was deemed null and void. Um, it's a hard one, Dave. I think. I wouldn't have started Kane. That's the big question now. Should he have started him? He was fairly anonymous. But to be fair to him, how much room did he have to operate? He was starved of any sort of service. And and the first goal, you know, the goal inside, you know, two minutes, it, it puts paid to Pochettino's game plan, really. You know, we 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 sit back, we we defend deep, we decide that we're just going to try and prevent them from from really getting Dave, behind remember, us. Remember in the last pod I said to you, you know, we hear about, you know, um, how, Puck, uh, how Spurs are basically going to deal with us, but no one, none of the pundits, none of the, the, the tactical guys said how Tottenham were going to win this game. And they, they 20 seconds in, they find themselves, a, you know, a goal down. And they never really came at us until 80 minutes to get themselves back into it. Is that because we were so good defensively? Well, yeah, I think so. Um, we we dropped off. We we stopped pressing them high up the pitch. You know, we 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 weren't pressing them high up the pitch, and I don't I don't know whether that was a plan. I don't know whether that was if if when we get the lead, we we do this, we drop, and and we we don't expend too much energy because of the conditions, because of the heat, because of the fact that there'd been a three week break, and the issue that we had then was we, when we got the ball, we couldn't fucking string three passes together. But to be fair to Pochettino, you know, say what you like, he, he did really stop us creating any real clear-cut chances apart from, you know, Origi's, which is 
kind of just keeping the ball alive from a corner. And we don't create loads either. He does really well to stop the fullbacks. Uh, we talked, I think you mentioned that he was working on stopping the, that, that fullback to fullback pass that allows us to switch the play and stretch teams. We didn't see that once, I don't think. Trent hardly got forward. Robertson got forward a couple of times, but I think it's, I think it's harsh on Pochettino considering the goal goes in so early. But again, they, they, should, they should never be there. They should never be in that final, and they're, they're in that final largely down to him. But yeah, I, I, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of find it difficult to, to critique his his game plan based on how the match panned out. I find it difficult to critique the match as a whole based on based on the the penalty. So we just have to we just have to wait. Do you think there was maybe maybe a bit of confusion and amongst all of that, Dave, with the fact as you as you rightly said, like our midfield three were defensive in any way. They just decided we're, we're just going to hold the line here. And that maybe confused them a tad. And, you know, as I say, they, they seem to have nothing other than passing it around a back five and hoofing it out of play. Yeah, I thought, defensive, I thought defensively um, we, we were brilliant. We, we starved them of space in the, in, in the midfield and, and we, didn't let them, we didn't let them break the lines until the game got strangely stretched in the last 15 minutes. And I don't really know why that happened. Um, maybe we just couldn't contain, our, contain ourselves any longer after playing that way for so long. Um, but as I said it to you before the ball, and I've kind of compared this club team to Mourinho. I, don't, I fucking hate saying that, but um, they do resent. They do resemble on occasion a, 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 a early Chelsea Jose Mourinho side, where they can their the in game management was I think absolutely spot on from the players. You know, yes, when we had the ball, we didn't do what we should have done, and and we looked well off it, and I think that was largely down to the, the three-week break where we'd lost what Klopp likes to call the rhythm. But out of possession, I thought we were absolutely, absolutely fantastic. And essentially, that's that's what won us the game. Because in hindsight now, had we not got the early goal, I'd maybe be worried about how we actually perform with the ball. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion that uh, the goal changed our, our thinking. And, you know, I think... You have to, oh, it you did have, change your you thinking. Have, you it absolutely to, did. You have to think about the club mindset of this, about not wanting to get beaten again in a final. And he gets a lead in 20 seconds, and he he backs his team, maybe, to say, and you're, what you said about you know getting the lead, it, it was a very early lead, but he still backed them to hold on to it. You know what I mean? And it was a case of, eventually, we would wear them down, and we would get a second. We knew that. Um, it, it took an awful long time, and that was due to the fact that you say of just complete scrappy play. But I think it was the discipline that we showed with the midfield three and not being that progressive that caused it to be 85 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd go along with that as well. Although I, I would say that, you know, is it accident or, or design? Because I think that, as you said about a club, I think it's the same for the players. They were in the Champions League final last season. They put in a 97-point season and didn't win the league this season. Going ahead after one minute, they you know, they will have known their favourites going into the game. They will have fancied themselves to win the game. And going ahead after one minute, they will have, they will have you know, that will have changed their pre-game mindset as well. Uh, there's, you know, they're human beings as well. They're, they're not machines. And, you know, we, we are good enough to do what we did and hold on and keep Tottenham out. Tottenham weren't great either. 
think what you mentioned about the three-week break makes sense for both teams. Neither team was was as good as it could have been. And I think Tottenham, we've shown over the season, were better than them uh, in terms of points total, in terms of head-to-heads. And in the European sense, they've never been in the Champions League final before. So, you know, that's not even a question. So in the end, I, I don't know. It's very difficult to decide whether we specifically, tactically decided as a pre-game instruction to drop back and play that way, having gone ahead, or whether the fact that we go ahead so early and it's so early. I mean, I think I honestly think if that comes after 12 minutes, I don't think the game pans out like that. Do you know what I mean? I think it's one of those freak goals. You know when people say you've scored too early? And it could have been a case, had we not been so good off the ball and so good defensively, where it, where it was one of those, oh, Liverpool scored too early. You know, but in the end, also Neil, you, you know, the situation that led to the penalty came about from us being completely aggressively pressing. Absolutely, and we when we, we didn't do that afterwards, as you as as has been alluded to, we did not do that. And maybe the odd time, maybe two or three times, three or four times during the game, where where we sensed there might be a moment, we did that. I think we would have done that until we scored, and. If that had been after 20 minutes, then you would have been aggressively having done that for 20 minutes. And if you haven't done that, you might have ended up scoring a couple. You know what I mean? And it, you might not have just ended up, the game might not have just panned out like that. And Tottenham might not have, had we not scored for 20 minutes, Tottenham might have found themselves more in the game. You know what I mean? And and I felt, had we scored... They, and a goal have, after 20 minutes might have been more deflating than a goal after 23 seconds. It may have been, but they may then have, have had a go back at us, having perhaps had a couple of chances in the first 20 minutes. And who knows? This is all absolutely hypothetical. But what I am saying is, and I know from experience of watching football for God knows how long, too long, you score in the first, any either team scores in the first two minutes, the game, or under five, shall we say, but particularly the first one or two minutes, like one of the first attacks or whatever, the game completely changes. You know, it, it takes on a particular path because... It almost resets at nil-nil, but it's one-nil. You know what I mean? And, and it's kind of a bizarre scenario. And in the end, I don't know whether we, we, we deliberately sat back and invited Tottenham to have the ball or whether we literally, honestly, couldn't put one pass to the next. You know what I mean? But in the end, it worked. It worked for I, us. And what we needed to do was win, and we did. It's funny you say that, Chief, about not being able to put one pass to the next because, see, from watching football and playing football, you a game can a game can take a pattern early on, and sometimes it's really difficult to break away from that pattern of the game. And you see it a lot of the times when when teams, and sometimes it only lasts twenty minutes, sometimes it only lasts five minutes, but but more often than not, a pattern of the game is is set in the first five ten minutes. And I looked, and I people have talked about the 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 Mane Trippier kind of matchup or Trippier or whatever way he wants to pronounce his name. And we target him early on, and that's where the penalty comes from. And I thought that that was going to be a theme, but the pattern changed immediately from there. And I don't think that we could—I don't think that we could break that pattern of not being able to pass the ball and being rigidly defensive. And until—and I thought it's strange that the game opens up the last twenty minutes, and we allow the game to open up the last twenty minutes because we played the previous seventy minutes, like the last ten minutes, the last fifteen minutes should have been played. It's something to do with the substitutions, though, and it happens. It's something to do with something they do and we do, and I can't remember exactly what it was. But part of it, I think, is is 
is it Dyer coming on and is it Miller that comes on for us or somebody comes on? And it, they both happen within the space of like four minutes. And the game... Origi was first on for us, which surprised me. You know, maybe, maybe it was that, maybe it was, but the two substitutions happen very close together and it changes the pattern of the game. Like, and it, therefore it opens up and you get both teams have chances. They have better ones, but, you know, Alisson doesn't make any absolute wonder saves, but as Um says, he makes saves that we know he should make, but other keepers might not in the same situation in the same game because Lloris should probably save most penalty, let's be honest. No, absolutely. Well, here, listen, we'll leave the game where it is. We'll come back to you uh, on this one, Ums. And just, I think, we should pay a little bit of homage to, to Mr. Klopp, um, who, like, since we've lifted this trophy, has amused me no end. I mean, I could watch this man drunk 24-7, what a manager! What a, what a guy we have at this moment in time, and I think that the 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 noises coming out of Boston and whatnot sort of are, are a fair reflection of that. Yeah, since we've won, I think we've seen not a, a, it's not surprising, but we've seen another side of him that we hadn't seen before. You know, the the like you just said, the drunk club basically, um, which a lot of the fans, because you know, football is like that. There's a lot of that drinking culture and that's what people want to see and they want to see their manager behaving like that as well you know and this is you know this was a perfect excuse we just won a biggest trophy in club football so why not but yeah it's um I think he's endeared himself even more to the fans if that's even possible because we were just in love with him before beforehand um but he his antics kind of afterwards have really kind of um, embedded him even further into into Liverpool Football Club if that's possible. Um, I think there's obviously there's been talk now of contract extensions, but I'm still reading that he apparently wants to take a break in in a couple of years' time, which was his original plan. But hopefully he reconsiders and signs then a contract for the next twenty years because we just don't want him to go anywhere. But um, you know, and obviously where he's been losing all these finals beforehand, you know, he's this is his time to now go a bit crazy and act strange and funny and get drunk on camera and things like that and um it's just like I said it's just it's nice to see because you do see that discipline side of him all the time as well I mean you 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 also see the the love that he gives his players it kind of makes you feel um, that you know he's been waiting for this moment as you say the discipline side of him and and mm. he he handles the media so well the man is, is a master of handling the media and you you know like now we've saw the, the you know we before he came we heard about the crazy side of him, and you know he he can do that now as a winner I think easier than he could when he was talking about it. Yeah, I think now that you're gonna you know he's this kind of that the shackles will be off for him. He doesn't have to to kind of answer these questions about losing finals and things like that. And he can maybe that maybe we'll see another side of him a bit more in the media even now as well, whereas before he had to maybe say the, the right things and say certain things because he hadn't really been winning anything recently anyway, but with Dortmund and previously he had, but with, with us, he hadn't done so far. And, you know, maybe he had to to have a certain kind of personality with the media, but now he doesn't really have to do that anymore. Now, if anyone says anything to him, you know, I've, I've won the trophy now, I've won the biggest one out there and, as we just said before, I think it's just going to be the first of many, and um, he's, he's just so—he's such a perfect fit for the club. He is like a fan, really, isn't he? I mean, you know, when you see him, the passion that he brings, and now you've seen, you know, that the funny side of him as well, and him him throwing beer over Ian Brewster's head on the bus and things like that. 
that was his time to kind of, you know, go go a bit crazy. You know, I've won, I've won my final now. I've won this trophy. He hadn't, he'd obviously lost a cup out a couple of times with Dortmund and the Champions League, but he he's now done it with Liverpool. And what a trophy to win for your first one as well. It's not like a League Cup or an FA Cup. Um, it's the biggest one out there. So it's, I just, yeah, I just don't want him to ever leave. I just, is it possible to just hide time down forever? I just really hope he reconsiders. You know, he's had to, he he's has his um, stints as manager for, for about seven years. He was at Mainz for seven years. He was at Dortmund for seven years, and his contract with us is till twenty twenty two. But I just, I think that's what FSG there's, there's we're, tra- we're, we're trying to do, Ums, and, and yeah. you know, sort of trying to reset those seven years, reset the clock from 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 next yeah. season, which you can sort of, I, I can cer- certainly understand it. But I, w- I want to jump across to Neil on this one. You know, there's suggestions of what I'm reading. Um, online today is that Klopp has basically said, you know, look, I've three years left in my contract. I really don't need to talk about it right now. You, you know, your, your experience in Germany there would does that not surprise you? What what you've heard? No, not at all. Um, I think as um, um said there, he he's had his career sort of in in those stints, and um, I, while I don't think he'd be absolutely rigid and sticking to them, and it's going to be dictated by how the next little while goes. If we go on from strength to strength now and you know, win, win, win the league title and win another Champions League or whatever, you never know. Um, I'm sure Alex Ferguson wouldn't have stayed and wouldn't have the chance to stay at United for all those years had they not been winning stuff year in, year out and, and, and top thing. Well, the league essentially every year. So I, I think it, it's all going to be, as, as everything is in football, it's going to be dictated by success. Uh, it's going to be dictated by results. And in the end... You know, Klopp's a strong personality. It's going to be dictated by how he feels as a person, as a manager, further down the line. But I don't think we really need to worry about that right now. I think uh, maybe at the end of the next season, you know, then we then we. Like can... He's not going anywhere, Neil. His, no, his heart and his mind and his soul not, are solely not, Liverpool. Yeah, he's not looking for another club. He's not going to be poached. It's not a question that it'll be whether he decides. At the end, or as as he can see the contract coming up over the hill, um, do I want to continue this, or is it time for me to do something else, or at least get my head short for a little while and and then think about you know my future? You know, we're all human. It's massively high pressure, massively high pressure, and of course it it doesn't look it when he's sitting on the bus there and you know blocked and counting number six on his hands and pouring beer on Bruce or whatever. But that's the let off, you know, at the end of it all. It's hugely high pressure that, you know, we, we hear, we've heard it spoken about and, and talked about, we've talked about ourselves, the pressure that the players have, have essentially played under all season, having basically known that they, they have to hit around about 100 points to have a chance of doing what it is that they've been assembled to do. And, you know, that pressure is, is probably even magnified, you know, tenfold, say, on the manager, who's tasked with assembling these players and putting them together and, and coming up with a plan to get them to hit that 100 points. And never mind the league campaign, to win the Champions League as well and, and, and you know, be in the final for the second year. Huge, huge pressure. And we expect it and hope it, and, and much as we love the guy and, and the players, we will soon fall out of love with them if they're not delivering what we, what we expect of them. Okay, they've bought a lot, a lot of grace. There's no doubt about that. But, 
you're not telling me that if somehow some the wheels absolutely fall off next season, we finish sixth in the, in the league and go out of the group stage of the Champions League, the people aren't going to be asking questions. Of course, they are. And, and that's the fickle nature of football, Neil. Unfortunately, that uh, that we can't get. You know, like Ohms re- passionately said, you know, we'll keep him for twenty years. Football don't work like that, sadly. And uh, and, fa- no. and fan power these days, sadly, won't allow it either. It's it's fan power and it's the realities and the finance of the game, but it's 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 also just the nature of our of our society in general. We we want success, and football fans are no different. And especially having tasted it, you don't want to. You know, drop away and feel like you've dropped away and feel like it's it's disappeared again. So, not that any of us envisage that happening, but it's it's very much going to be dictated by all those factors over the next few years. But we should just enjoy it for now because he's not only is it you know it's not just the first team thing; it's the ethos of the club. It's everything that's happening. It's the fans. It's the way everyone's together. It's it's the way it runs from the youth teams all the way up. It's a recruitment, it's everything. So let's enjoy the next couple of years and let's hope, you know, things keep going well. So he signs an extension as time goes on, but it doesn't surprise me at all that he is he's, he's going, you know, I've got three years left, let's not jump the gun. His pragmatic nature that we've seen this season is shining through, even though he's running around like a lunatic there, Dave. But listen, let, let's move on to, to, to the next stage. And we, we look like we have... Uh, John and Linda there with the European Cup. They, they, they looks like it was made for them. Um, he's a very happy man, and let's talk a little bit about how he may invest. There's talk already of the Anfield Road end being uh, extended, and uh, you know, looking looking more towards the, the transfer window here. Like, who doesn't want to come to us now, Dave? Like, truly, who does not want to play for Liverpool? I don't know. I know I want to, but. It's, they don't want you. That's well, well, well now, but 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 is it? But isn't this the reality? Where where they don't want me to, but they can pretty much have whoever they want right now. In my opinion, you know, if there's a player available and and the price fits and the profile fits, then if there's any other team in Europe in for them, then I don't think they stand a chance against us. I genuinely don't. This process journey, whatever you want to call it, FSG have taken over has now culminated in a after a raft and a consecutive good decision after good decision after good decision. And where we are now is is a basis of essentially trial and error from from those guys took over the club. And it's not it's not like other sports. It's not like baseball. It's not like American football where things can be boiled down to the one number. There's because it's such a low scoring game, football and, and, you know, games are won. You know, look at, look at that. Look at the, the final. You know, it, it's, it's a, it's a penalty after 24 seconds. Like who ever heard of such a thing? That doesn't happen. And then the whole game changes. It's not you just go out and you, you throw your next pitch or you just go out and you, you do your next play or whatever. It changes the whole dynamic of the game and substitutions can change the whole dynamic of the game. So um, these guys have, have taken the time to, to, to get it right. And I think it was Oliver Holt sent a tweet out yesterday, which basically just said that the class runs the whole way through that club from the top to the bottom. And right now that's what we're seeing. And this is now the point where we're able to look back and say we went through all that pain because this was was the end result. And not to say that this is the end result, but this is now 
the jumping off point where we have now got to the level where we want to get at and we can now plan for the next five years. How many do you think we need, Dave? Because I think this is where I want to go with this around the table. You know, how, how many signings do you realistically think that we need? Two. Well, what kind of areas are you talking? Are you talking defence, attack, midfield? Because, you know, I look at our midfield and even, you know, we talk about Lalana going, um, which apparently is it's, he's for sale. Irrelevant, um, he hardly plays. Next one. I know, it's an irrelevance. But, you know, you've Ox coming back, you've Nabi Keita, who really didn't make a huge, let's be honest, didn't make a huge time-wise impact on, on the season, who one would expect, now that he's got over that bump in the road, to play a major part next season. Do we, do we really need anything in midfield? Look, it just it depends what it depends what what the objective is. So how many do we need for what? Do they want to go out and try and win four trophies? Is well, that what they want what, to do? One would imagine. Let, let's set it in the same uh, vein as this season. I, I don't think we're ever going to have the depth that City have. That, that, that's, that's point one. Uh, or the quality and depth, um, you know, of top, top class players. You know, we'll maybe have developing players and, and you know, good pros and things like that that can, can make a difference in work ethic. Um, but, but, you know, look, there's talk about Fakir, who is a different type of midfielder than, than what we have. But it just seems that those places are getting very crowded. Yeah, and they should be crowded because, you know, we thought, you know, we thought at the end of last season, Kaida had already signed and, and the Ox was, was coming into the form of looking like a real a real asset to the team. And we thought, wasn't well, this great? And we'll sign one more. And then all of a sudden, Kaida's not available for a lot of the season and Ox isn't available for any of the season. So these things can happen in football. Now, I don't think it's the right, strategy to plan for what if let's buy this worthy in case and this is I'm kind of I'm kind of not with you on the I know we talked about a pre-pod about the signing of the leader and I'm kind of I'm I'm not quite as bought in as you guys because I'm kind of like well we're buying him if Van Dyke maybe gets injured or if Joe Gomez gets injured for a, a, an X amount of time say three months plus but then I think I think this. You're but you're making that step to the next level. That's all point. You know. What yeah, I, mean? I, I agree. I agree. And I think the the, the, the the strategy these guys have shown is they they don't they don't just buy for the now. You know, it's it's a long it's a long term and players are long term investments. You know, and it might be a twenty one year old. It might be a twenty two. It might not be a. It might be a twenty two year old, and it might be a player who comes in. And let's be like look. Let's be honest. We can go out and sign as many players as we want, but the likelihood is they're not going to be ready until Christmas anyway. You know, that's that's the way things have worked with, with players that Klopp signed. So the likelihood is they're not going to be ready until Christmas. It's probably going to be February before we really see, Jesus, this is this is a proper footballer here. So again, we're not sign- when we sign players in the summer, it's probably going to be more so for the year after than for next year, if that makes any sense at all, or certainly the back end of next season. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would, I would go along with that, probably. I mean, there are one or two exceptions, Salah and Mane, for example, but, you know, um, we've seen, certainly in the midfield positions and at the fullback, that um, players have taken a while to bet in uh, and get used to the system, get used to the demands and, and so on. So, And you would imagine, as, as was said earlier, uh, Kaida and, and even Fabinho even Fabinho 
took took a little while and kind of taken a bit longer and he's, he's had his injury worries. They'd probably play a much bigger part next year and obviously Oxley Chamberlain will as well. So, you know, midfield area is probably not up because we're hearing Milner's getting a contract extension. Obviously, Henderson's been moved forward. Centre midfield, that area is probably not a massive priority. I do think centre-back is because of the the, um, the injury issues and, and while the lit is, is flavour of the month and, and a big name, I think it'd be cool to go and get him. I mean, I wouldn't want to be having to pay him you know, more than our wage structure. and, and you know, That's, that's my worry with him, Neil, is the wages. Because if he comes in at, say, 200, and we saw, you know, we have experience with this agent of his, Raiola, or whatever you call him, you know, with Sterling. And then you're going to have a 20-year-old banging your door going, oh, I want 300 grand now because I had a good season. And, and it's not the way that we've been working. It's not the way that FSG have been working. And I see that, as much as I want the lead, I see that as the barrier to getting them. Yeah, it could be. We might not even be be that interested because of that. Who knows? But, you know, at the same time, Raiola has to sort of see Liverpool as, a, you know, a bit of a good bet if he can get his client in there, even at something like, you know, 150 grand a week now, which is which which probably isn't, you know, isn't massively going to upset anybody, you know, playing there. At, at this point in that position, I, I'm not exactly sure what the weird structure is, but I, I wouldn't have thought something like that would be huge. The next contract could could go could go upwards, and you know you know about all the performance through the pay and stuff, whatever. But I think centre back might be an area just because of the injuries, because of the stress of the of the position itself, the fact that uh, you do get tend to get so many injuries in that position across the course of a season, and how vital it is a position. You know, um, and I think if there is a player like that available, you know, why not go and get him? Why not stop City getting him? Or, or, or that's what champions him? do, Neil. They don't rest exactly. on their laurels. Exactly. Don't don't rest. Go and get him and bring him in. He might not be ready to start. So Joe Gomez is, and then Delit has to fight for his place. But we've got three world class centre backs in fighting for two positions. And I think the next step is for us if if we do want to. You know, you say we'll never have this, the depth of city squad and whatever, and you know, you know, from this position that that's possibly a, a fair assessment. Well, maybe but, in a couple of seasons, Neil, we can have it by building well, it as a you know, city just got it one day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they haven't got, they haven't signed loads of, you know, hundred million pound players or anything. They've, they've signed a lot of 50, 60, you know, seventy million pound players now as the, as the price has gone up slightly, but. They haven't gone out and broken the bank in, in on on one particular player. Obviously, the players they signed were were high prices at the time that they were signed, but I don't think they were world record breakers or anything like that. You know, and they, they weren't just chased the thing built built their squad, and we could do the same because our squad is young, and we have the money, and we have the players, the 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 the, um, the uh, owners who are going to invest and who independently came out before the Champions League final said, yeah, we're, we're going to invest to win the league next year, you know. And when you've got that sort of cohesion running through the club and that kind of togetherness and the will to just improve and improve, honestly, the sky is the limit. But I think we should, we should go out and, 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 you know, I think centre-back might be an area and I think up front might be an area. And I think if you say two players, Dave, might be two or three, but I think Shakiri's going to leave, isn't he? Perhaps there's a lot of talk about that, and um, you know, um, obviously RG might be offered a new contract now. But I think probably up front and and at, at centre back and maybe cover at a full back might be what they're what we're looking at. 
The reason City Squad is City Squad is not because, as Chief Rightly says, he's going out and signed players for 100 million this and 100 million that. It's because they don't have to sell anybody and they never have sold anybody. They yeah. haven't had to sell a Raheem Sterling. They haven't had to sell a, a, a Luis Suarez. They haven't had to sell a Phil Coutinho to go and refinance other areas of their squad. They've also had the success and the wages to be able to satisfy players to stay there long term. And, and they're winning, have, Dave. Well, that, that's what I mean. And, and what we now have are all those things where we've we've got now the success which will drive the the rec- drive the recruitment and open up areas of certain caliber of player that we may not have been able to sign before and the revenue that comes in from the likes of the Champions League when I think 120 million pounds this year so that's the key to the catch in city with regard to their squads um quality and depth is that if we don't have to sell our star players, and clubs come out and said that, that you know we don't have to sell players anymore. Nobody wants to leave. You heard Manny's comments. You know, this is a club. This is a highly attractive club. That game against Barcelona, the Champions League win, the pictures of that parade. You know, having Virgil Van Dijk at the club, having Mo Salah at the club. These are all factors which will want players and agents to have conversations with Liverpool. And I am in no doubt that if we want a player, we will go out and sign them. However, I don't think we will deviate from that profile of player that we have been focused on, which has brought us to success, because I think those guys have a very specific strategic model, which they're not going to deviate from, because, well, look where it's got us. I'm going to say the same thing, actually, about the kind of player that clops after we he said quite a few times that he looks at characters and more than possibly i mean obviously ability is important but he's he's more he's more interested in the person and what they're like and that team spirit that he's um and what kind of nurtured us since he's been here that's more important to him and it's more important what kind of uh, the person the player is rather than you know we all know he he probably wouldn't you know, take on players with big egos and things like that so I think that's um, still going to be the main kind of focus for him um, rather than just bringing a player in because he's good at this. And he needs to fit into that kind of that ethos that he's built since he's been here, really. And I think that team spirit is obviously ability is important and, you know, having these world class players. But the togetherness in that squad has really been, I think, a lot of it as well, how they've all gelled together and it's like a family. And I know it's a bit cliche. It's probably the same at other clubs as well. But we obviously just follow our own club and we don't really look at others in detail like we do at Liverpool. But it does seem to me our... Our, our club has it a little bit more than the others. I mean, Klopp has got this kind of infectious personality and he's brought everyone together and the players had run through brick walls for him. I think that's quite clear and that's something that's quite special, I think, to the to our, to our club and to, to Klopp as well. It's not just about bringing in this player and that player. It's important on what what they bring to the club and what kind of personality they are and whether or not Klopp likes them as a as a person himself, I think that's really important. I don't actually have any issues on. I'm not bothered about who he's signing and where he's. 
I trust him to do the job. If you, if he can bring in Andy Robertson, I'm making the best left back in one of the best left backs in the world. I don't have an issue with him. I completely trust him to pick anyone and strengthen any way we need. So honestly, I don't really get too deep into these transfer rumours and talks. I just I honestly 100% trust Klopp to bring in the right players. And I don't care who they are. I think he could turn anyone into a brilliant player, really. And how many do you see coming homes? Um, you know, the guys are alluding there no more. I, I, my own personal opinion, no, no less than one, uh, no more than three. That's where I would stand. I don't think we need that many either. I think, I know the guys are talking about having a, another world-class centre-back, but then you're going to, it's going to be tough having one of them on the bench. So that's the issue for Klopp, really. It's not like we're Man City and we can play pay X amount of wages and unlimited money to players. So Hang on, it works for our midfield and they're all happy. So why why can't it work? You know, I know we have a very... A very <laughs> well, they've been there a while now, isn't it? So they, like you said, it's that, it's that family kind of aspect. Maybe they've bought into it, but maybe a new player might be a little bit different. So if you are looking to bring in a third centre-back who... I mean, we're talking, we've got Van Dyke, we've got Joe Gomez, who was brilliant up until he got injured. And you've all mentioned Matip and you've all not mentioned that we've got the best defender in the world in Dejan Lopren. But um, if, if you bring in another world-class centre-back, you're going to have to to convince him that it's he's going to spend a lot of time on the bench or he's going to be playing cup games or he's only going to come in when Van Dyke's injured and... That is an, as you mentioned before, it's an unknown quantity what we're going to be like without Van Dyke. Is it, are Matip and Lovren and, and Gomez only really good when they're with him? So, you know, that's a bit of, uh, it's going to be, it's all up in the air really at the moment. I think, you know, we, we midfield, you've already mentioned, we're quite good on, we've got enough players on the bench as well. And then up front, I think we need a little bit of quality to come on. Origi has proved that he's, Super sub, so he's brilliant. Sturridge is leaving. We've been told that today. Shaki- I didn't know about Shakiri wanting to leave. That's quite disappointing. If that's the case, I thought he was. I, I've heard the opposite. Ums. He's he's all for staying. Well, I hope so because that's kind of defeating the point. He was a. I thought he was brilliant actually in the beginning of the season, the middle of the season when he did come on and you know against United when he scored a couple of goals and then he, Klopp didn't really use him at the end. Um, but you know he's 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 one of those guys who can come on and make a difference. So I hope he does stay. And I think uh, another one maybe up front to fill in a striker kind of role if you know any of the front three are injured or anything like that. So that's about it really. But I wouldn't be surprised if no one comes in in defence. You know I think you've got Van Dyke, you've got Gomez who was like we said really good until he got injured, and the Matip who's proved to be really good. Lovren, I don't know because his injury record he was it was quite poor last season. Whether he's going to stay or he's not going to stay, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he stays. He kind of seems to be um, you know defying the odds for the last few seasons, isn't he? Um, so I'm, I don't know. I think it's it's just going to be a case of bringing in players to sub really and then you know you're going to have to that's obviously Klopp's um, headache now is to how to to keep players happy when they know that they're not always going to be playing because I don't think any of these team that we've got now are going to be you know they're our first team none of them are going to be moved here or there for anyone else we're not going to have any superstars coming in and replacing Mane or a a big centre-back coming in and replacing someone I don't think so anyway I, I see what you're saying, but obviously these players have got us to where we are, and that's great. But football doesn't really work like that. I mean, if if you 
we've seen before, if you start to try and supplement your squad by buying squad players, specifically because they're not as good as your first team, you end up with a weaker squad. And the whole point is that you now, from this position, cherry-pick two, three players that will automatically improve your first team. And by virtue of that, your first team, current first team, they all have to fight to stay in that first 11. And by virtue of that fact, it makes your squad better. So I think I don't, I, I can't see us looking to, to simply look to buy cover because I, I think that's a false economy and, and you very quickly find yourself slipping from, from where you should be. Well, I don't know. Like I said, you know, that's the kind of Klopp's decision to make. That's my thinking. I'm not sure if, you know, I'm not a football manager, so I wouldn't know. But um, it's you know what I mean? you're right. You know, he might want to bring in a, a couple of players who who do start. It's just cause, well, you know, who, 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 who do you then let down? That's the kind of the the problem, isn't it? Really. So, whereas our maybe it was it was only our mid our midfield really that he was rotating possibly throughout the season. Our front three and our back five have always stayed the same. So I'm just not sure well, who moves see, out we'll and move on. No, I'm sure. I mean. Lovren, we've alluded to, he, he could well move on. Shakiri, not that he wanted to leave or anything, I wasn't really alluding to that, but it hasn't really worked out for him since quite a while ago. I mean, he's had a bit of an impact and it seems that perhaps he might not have been able to do exactly what Klopp wanted, so he might move on. We've mentioned Lalana as cover, he might move on. Um, obviously, we know Sturridge is leaving. So, but, I mean, these uh, are. Weren't you talking about replacing. I mean, you were saying bringing in guys to start. Is that not what no, you're saying? No, I, Sorry, I misunderstood. No, no, not, not at all. But these are all leaving. And then from that position, you've got uh, players, of course, who who have done absolutely really well. But, you know, players get injured and players get uh, not not just one or two. Players get injured in, in different positions. So if, if it's your first team... For example, Jordan Henderson or Anabi Kaida say they both get injured at the same time. So central midfield is probably not an area we would both there, but we've got five or six. But if a Virgil van Dijk were to get injured at the same time as a, a Joe Maddock, for example, which could quite easily happen. It's happened plenty of times before where at least two of our centre-backs have been injured at the same time. You would prefer to have gone a little bit extra and, and gotten a, a player who's really at least fighting for a first-team place than someone who you brought in specifically as a fourth choice and have and to be stuck there, do you know what I mean? I mean, I know the, these players have got us to here, but, you know, football teams are like sharks. They have to keep moving forward. And if, in my opinion, if, if, if you start to bolster squad, your squad by buying players that you feel are, are, are inferior, then the knock-on effect is obviously that your squad over time will, will, will be weaker. Well, l- listen, we'll, we'll leave our transfers there because we're, we're pushing up towards time. There's just one, one thing I want to, want to talk about, and I'll run around the table with it, but I'll start with you, Dave, since you're, you've been quiet for a while there. And, you know, the thing about this final that really, like, truly blew my mind was the amount of people that actually travelled to Madrid this time around. You know, like, you and I have done it in the past. We've gone to, to games without a ticket and the hope of picking one up and gone to, to soak up the atmosphere. But this... This was unprecedented. Like seriously, that square in uh, in Madrid, I, I've never seen the like of it. That this this is something. Then they're coming from all over the world as well, Dave. To, to just without a ticket, just for the experience. I've never seen that anything like that in football before. 
It just goes to show how, how massive Liverpool Football Club is. They're, you know, absolutely huge institution that has fans right around the globe. And this success and the likability of the manager and the likability of the players and the, the style of football that we're playing has all, you know, brought that to the fore again. And, you know, maybe in the last few years reignited some interest that was maybe wavering in the past and the, the dark days and has certainly brought a whole pile of new people on board as well. And what what you have is just a, a makes a farce of this debate as to, you know, what a big club is. Is a big club is a big club Manchester City with lots of money who win, you know, a domestic treble and and have a nice Shiny new stadium? No, it's not. That's not what a big club is, guys. Chelsea's not a big club. Manchester City's not a big club. Liverpool is a big club. And when 750,000 people lie in the streets of Liverpool and there's 100,000 already fucking made their way out there um, just to celebrate this football team, that's all That's all you need to point to. That's all you need to say. That's all you need to reference. It's, it's absolutely colossal. And... Well, it was a I fucking sight to behold, Dave. Like it seriously, was un- like that it concert was in the unbelievable. square. It, it was remarkable. Unbelievable. It was, and and also the you know also the scenes, the scenes in Liverpool when they got back, and I think, I think certainly for the owners uh, and possibly for the manager and and some of the players, you know, you saw Allison in tears and the boss. He just he just couldn't take it all in. The, He's this... Brazilian and emotionally incontinent. That doesn't count. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> all right. Um, but I, I think I think this has really hammered home and cemented the idea with the ownership and Henry in particular. You know, he, he's, he's talked about um, how the, the 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 game at Barcelona there was nothing else like it in the world. And you know, if that doesn't drive you to 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 put the the money in and and continue the good work that they've they've done with that club. Um, to bring them on even farther than I don't know what will because that was a spectacle to behold. Did you see the interviews? Sorry, the interviews with some of the players on the bus as well. I think they were quite, um, some of them anyway, were quite shocked at how many people turned out and how emotional they were because they were saying, they were saying people were looking at it and crying and saying, thank you, thank you. And I think this will just have whetted their appetite as well now. They're just going to want to do this again and again and, um, some of them, like you said, with Alison crying there, and I think they now they realise how huge it is. I mean, if you didn't realise how huge Liverpool was before, you certainly do now. And I think the players have seen another side of it, and that's just going to make them more hungry. There's there's one thing, um, that you know, if a if a club that doesn't that never wins anything, and something like that happens, then there's always going to be that huge emotion around it. But this is this is six European cups. You know, there's only two teams that have won more European Cups and next year it'll only be one. And this type of success is more normal to Liverpool than most football clubs around the world. And still it evokes that type of emotion. And that is, to me, the most incredible thing. Dave, I think I'll let Neil come in on this as well because, you know, we got a bit of a say on it. The, the parade around the city held no surprises for me, exactly what I expected. I'll say, but it was Madrid. You know, and I know that there's people like us, Dave, who, who who go to away games without a ticket, and you know, maybe six out of ten you'll pick up a ticket, no problem. Yeah, yeah, you're on the risk of the four. You don't. 
those days are gone, Neil. Sadly for, for for Liverpool fans now, you know, like I sort of, if we'd have got a result in Barcelona, I was I was booking a flight to, to Madrid. And by the time then we got through from Barcelona, it was far too late. And, and in hindsight, I'm actually glad that I didn't because there was no way on this earth that I was getting a ticket. And this is, it's like a startling new reality. 2005 was one thing, but this is a completely different animal we're looking at all of a sudden. Oh, I mean, um, I think that's that's been evident for for a little while. I mean, there's no mission of getting getting tickets at Anfield, or uh, you know, or or Champions League games or, or anything like that. And I know I think Liverpool is it's even grown as a fan base since the sort of social media generation uh, is is kind of taken off. But I mean, in general, so it's the brand of football. It's it's. I don't know what it is. It's 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 the glow. We kind of know how to enjoy ourselves as a family. And always did, and always did. It's just more people are experiencing it these days. I don't know. We've just had something. I've always been a Liverpool fan, you know, for a long, long time, for thirty odd years, thirty years or so. So to me, it's just all I've known. So I've always basically enjoyed my football essentially in the same way, as in celebrating the game. And you know, as, a, as an adult, in, enjoy myself watching Liverpool and you know following them as much as I can. But I, I don't really understand any other way to to con- consume football in inverted commas or or to take football in. I mean, why wouldn't you enjoy? It? And I suppose as being a Liverpool fan, we're lucky that we we get these opportunities to enjoy them. But you're right. Even with that degree of success, it still evokes so much because it's a constant struggle. I think being a Liverpool fan, in a way, you know, we've heard all this nonsense all this season about how everyone, nobody wants Liverpool to win the league, and then you know, Liverpool fans are a nightmare and whatever. No, fuck off! At the end of the day, you miserable siege. You know, to be honest, why would you not enjoy it? You know, I. We grew up watching Manchester United winning. Well, I grew up watching Manchester United winning the league in my teenage years. Man United won the league pretty much every season. I know Dave Dunning are the same, and Umara maybe uh, maybe a little bit shyer in years, but you know, happily I didn't. <laughs> didn't you're lucky, but but I did. I mean, I caught I I got into Liverpool at the tail end of our of our glory days, really in in the eighties, and you know, for years you follow and, and you believe you believe that you are going to be great again and we are going to be great again and now it looks like we are going to be great again. Uh, I came through the, the, the real, the 10, 15 years of, of real success as it started to unravel towards the end and whatnot, you know, where, where you jumped on board and I see this, what's exciting for me, most exciting of all, like that game didn't inspire me. I loved us being six times champ, but it's like, you're looking at it, going, well, seven's not far away. The league's not far away. You know that this is this is this is our time. This is the beginning of an era now of, if not dominance, because you know who knows what's going to happen with City. But it is going to be an era now where Liverpool are in, and not just in the conversation. They're in the finals. They're in the final weekend of the league season every single season for the next few. That is happening. You know. We are now beginning a period where, I believe anyway, and you you think so too, and I know a lot of other Liverpool fans do, and that's why the win was so important, because it could have gone the other way. Had it gone the other way, we would have been saying pretty much the opposite. But we're not, and that's why it was so important to us, and that's why the emotion was so huge, because this feels like the beginning of a great 
Liverpool era. You know, four, five, six seasons of being really thought of as the best again, or or right up there with the very best again. Not well, we'll lose players to Barcelona and Real Madrid, as you were saying earlier. Who wants to leave now? Where are you going to go? If you're in the conversation for any player, why would they rather go anywhere else? You're going to European champions, not just that. You're going to a team that, that you know, probably, well, to all intents and purposes, very, very well, you could say, should have won the league last season and, and you know, came within a, a hair's breadth. Nobody should have challenged City. Nobody should be getting 97 points in the league. Nobody should be getting 98. We got 97, they got 98. We're going to be there again next year. You've got a, one of the best managers out there, not just in terms of what he's achieving in results, but the way the team responds to him. You've, you've got the best nutritionists. You've got the best fitness people. You've got owners that seem to care. You've got players connecting with fans. You've got fans connecting with players. If, if We're riding the crest of a wave right now, and we're going to ride it now for the next little while, and that's why it's such, a, such an exciting time and such a pivotal victory, I think. I think things go in cycles, aren't don't they? And then you've had this dominance period of dominance from for United the last 20, 30 years, and you know, 30 years ago in the previous era, can it was us? And I do think that it's going to come back round now. And I just, I just feel that's how it works, to be honest. Um, and yeah, like I said before as well, this this is just going to make the players and the and Klopp and everyone's just a bit hungrier now and they're going to want to do this every every season now. They've seen what it means to the club. They they obviously knew before as well, but they've seen it firsthand now with the trophy parade and everything and the outpouring of emotion and people just kind of so in, sort of in debt, feel like they're indebted to the players because of what, of what they've done, um, what they did on Saturday. So, yeah, I just I couldn't agree more with everything that Neil said. Really, it's just um, I think that this is just going to be the beginning, really. The beginning of a wonderful time, hopefully. Um, as I say it's it's like you know they've spoken about the, the monkey off the back of this trophy, Dave, and whatnot. But I just see I I see a real era developing here. I see something, you know, and like I remember the day, days of Bob Paisley. I don't remember Shankly that well, but I remember Paisley and, and it reminds me of that team and, and the team right the way through into the 80s and it, it's the spirit of that team and, and this is even beyond what I saw there, you know what I mean? And, you know, like you've even got, like there's a guy from the Anfield Rap, John Gibbons was, was DJing with Daniel Sturridge at, at the, the after party. And there's an engagement here, there's something, there's just something different, there's something that I just haven't ever seen in football before, and, I'm, and it excites me a lot. Well, that's what this club prides itself on, and that's what this club's fans pride themselves on, on being different, on standing out and, and doing things the right way. And, you know, Chief was right earlier on when he said there's a real connection between between the players and the fans and the manager and the fans. And it's a relatability that isn't there with with. Manchester United millionaires dancing around in their fucking mansions, getting on like arseholes. You know, our players don't do that. Our players are our players are relatable and they're humble. And you know, you you see the scenes in Madrid and the scenes after the parade, and 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 you'll never walk alone being sang in in the stadium. And, and I don't know whether you saw the clip of of Mourinho and and Wenger, and Wenger just looks at it and says, "That's unique." And this club is unique, and that's what 
is going to be such an attraction to players. And that's why people are taking so much pride in Liverpool at the moment. Yeah, we wanted that trophy to justify and vindicate everything that we thought and everything that we believed. And what that, aside from doing that, has done is it's kicked the door open to what could really be now a sustained period of of tangible success. And everything's in place. Everything's in place. It's taken us six, seven, eight years to get there, but everything's in place. The club structure, the recruitment strategy, most importantly, the manager, the playing staff, you know, as, as Chief ran through, nutritionists, the, the analytics team, you know, it's all there. It's all there. And who knows where this team can go from, from here on. Can I ask just one thing before we go? Of course you can. Um, for me... The European Cup is the biggest trophy in club football. And Agreed. We went so close to the league this year. But considering Barcelona at Anfield, would you swap it for a league title this year? No. I asked my son the same question. And I, I personally say I wouldn't swap it now. Once, we've had, once we'd won it, I was like, I wouldn't swap it now. But that was my own personal opinion. You know, you'd probably have Liverpool fans crying and saying, what the hell are you talking about? You know, we haven't won the league for 30 years, but I don't know, this Champions League was just so, the run, the final was shit, yeah, but the run was so brilliant, especially, like you said, the semi-final, and those Anfield nights, you don't get them in the league so much as well, so it's just something else, isn't it? I mean, it's that old saying that we keep hearing again and again, we've got a special love affair with this cup, and it's a unique relationship, and you just don't get that anywhere else. You you can't have that with anything else, I don't think. I think it's just, I wouldn't swap it, not now. I mean, obviously, I want to win the league. I'd love to win it next year um, as, soon as, we, as soon as possible, which is next year. But I don't think I'd swap it now. No, I mean, I don't think I would either. I mean, it's quite a funny one because obviously back in the day when we were, you know, kings of Europe, you, you won uh, the European Cup because... You were only in it because you'd won the league already. Um, but obviously, with the Champions League, it's, it's a you know it's a different story. You top four and whatever you get in, and obviously we've won it from coming fourth. But you know this season we have been you know it, it's kind of a you know that is a flip side as well because the team that won the league the year before might not be that good the year after. So just because your league champions doesn't make you the best team in your league that year. And to be honest, you know we were arguably the best team in our league this year. Of course, we came second, but you, everyone knows the margin, so you could make an argument for it. Like we conceded few, the, the fewest, the fewest goals, so you know certainly defensively, you know statistically, we were the best team. You know, you you win the European Cup, you win the Champions League. The, it, it's the last game of the season, the final game of the season, and I suppose it, it depends which way it's packaged. I mean, if, you know, if you go out against Barca, Dave, if you go, you ask the questions. If you go out against Barca in the semi, right? So say. Barca beat you 3 0 in the first leg and then play in the second leg and it's 1 1 at Anfield. And you you win the you win the league. But then, you know, the Champions League comes around and uh it's Barcelona against Spurs. And uh Spurs do to Barcelona what we did to them somehow, or Spurs beat them or whatever. You're gonna be raging, you know, at that point. Because the league the league's you know, you're absolutely celebrating, but but it's the final game, isn't it? So I suppose if we'd have won the league and not the Champions League, we would have been happy. But 
you know, we're all over the moon now, so why would you trade it? Like to be to be honest. Okay. I know. What do you think? Would you trade it? Not after. Not if you. Not no. No, I wouldn't trade it, and I wouldn't trade it because the game at Anfield against Barcelona. I don't. I. I think that. I. I think personally, and again, as I am the football romanticist, that that more than any other trophy that night's going to be etched into the history of of Liverpool Football Club. That will be talked about. People will talk about X amount of trophies and, you know, you'll not really remember this final in 20 years' time, you know. It'll be, and it'll be just, it'll be number six and that's what it's going to be and and that'll be great that it was number six. But that night, that night gets talked about for the next 50 years, the next 100 years. It's the greatest night. Absolutely does. But say you win the Barcelona game, say you do that, say you do the 4 0 and you win the league and you lose in the final. What do you what happens then? The Barcelona match doesn't really mean anything. And if you think about all the all the amazing European nights at Anfield, all the ones that are talked about, they all ended up with the trophy. They all ended up with the trophy being won at the end of it. You're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, I agree, but the funny thing is that's football, isn't it? Because we, we probably all agree as Liverpool fans now, but if you'd asked us six weeks ago what we'd rather win, it would have been the league. Uh, although, you know, Dave said, and, and I said a few times in the pod as well, I, I thought and, and wanted that we would win the double, but obviously that's, that was being a bit crazy. But I know, I know it's just one of those things, because the, the funny thing is that the thing that will get Klopp the statue is if and when we win the league. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just one of those football things, isn't it? I mean, but I know what you mean because you don't have, you know, you win the league, you win it on a Sunday afternoon uh, when everyone plays at the same time. You don't have that big special night where everyone's watching and you lift it, you know, of course you lift the trophy, but, you know, you, the other the other football fans are all watching their team. They're all out watching their team at, at the match or, or they're watching match a day later on or they're watching on Sky, whatever. They're all doing separate things. You win the Champions League, the whole, the whole world's watching you know? Yeah, it's more of a global event, isn't it? Yeah. And then you get, yeah. Right. It's a showpiece event, absolutely. Um, yeah. I just, I just think for me, those, those, those nights, those nights that people talk about, their trophies are great, and trophies, trophies are, are a justification and a vindication of, of of how good your football team is. But football for me is about about grown men crying in the stands and not being able to, to contain themselves when you just see the fucking impossible happen against all odds and something that it's I was there that night. Do you remember that night? The greatest night in, in the history of the European Cup. I was there that night. And I think those those things matter more. And it's really, really comf- confident to be able to say that now that we've got a big fucking shiny trophy behind it. All right, guys, thanks for uh, joining, joining me the other day because the other day has gone AWOL. Um, so, um, yeah, we'll, we'll maybe do something between now and the start of the new season, but who really cares because we're European champions. <laughs>